All right, the book of Galatians, a great book, an important book, a confusing book if you don't understand what Paul is doing. Um, so it's a lot of fun. It's very confusing to many people because they don't understand what Paul is arguing uh, against, but uh, we'll get into all that. This book is basically um, the longest section in the Bible that teaches us, um, the, which teaches us that the only way to become a member of God's family is to trust Jesus for salvation, not in anything else, which seems um, like not that much of a revelation, but it is a revelation because we're tempted to, to say that we do trust Jesus, but add things to Jesus, whether we want to you know, admit it outwardly or not. Um, and this actually dovetails really well with uh, the sermon this morning from the parable of the two debtors, uh, because it's the same problem uh, all over again. So Galatians, um, Galatians takes a while to get going. Paul doesn't start his actual, like, this is your problem and this is why you're wrong thing until chapter three. Chapters one and two are him giving a greeting, explaining briefly that they're wrong about something, and then defending his right in his authority to tell them what he's about to tell them. So chapters one and two are like a bunch of setup, and chapter three onward is where he really starts attacking the problem. So this book is extremely important because people have always been willing to say that Jesus is important, but at the same time, bringing other things into the equation. So it's Jesus plus something equals salvation. And in Paul's day, it was doing things, following the law, making sure you do all of these 30 things in addition to trusting in Jesus. That was the problem. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. I'll let Paul tell it instead of me just summarizing everything. So We'll pray, and then we'll take a look at um, Galatians chapter one. We might, um, we might, we'll certainly make it through chapter one. Um, we'll see how far we get. Well, we're going to slow way down in chapter three, whenever it is we get there. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to love you more. Help us to trust in your son alone for salvation, and help us to, to connect the problems we read about from our brothers and sisters so long ago to our own lives and our own situation here so we can always trust you and your son and his good news as the only thing that saves us in jesus name we pray amen all right he starts off real simply in galatians chapter one uh, with his greeting paul is usually happy in his letters but he's not happy for long in this letter because he's a really unhappy guy. So if you've ever written like a rude email or a rude text message before, Paul is writing a really rude email. Not rude because he's right, but it's not very nice. He's not in a good mood. There's horrible things going on. And he's so anxious that they not make this mistake that he's really blunt and direct with them in a way that people often don't appreciate. So here he is. Uh, the greeting lasts for five verses, and then he just totally switches gears 
And he's like, it's like, okay, now I got the greeting out of the way. Now I can just really just dive in here. So this is where he starts, uh, verses one to five, with the greeting. Paul, an apostle, sent not for men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Do Why do you think Paul thought it was necessary in verse one to specify who has made him an apostle? I don't remember. I didn't look. I don't remember him doing this in any other book. I don't remember him saying, Paul, an apostle. I didn't make myself an apostle. Jesus made me an apostle. I mean, he takes time to really push that. Well, um, he's trying to like show them that he has the authority to say what he wants. Yeah. Because there, there's problems going around where people are questioning Paul's right to tell them the way things are. Like, who are you? I know you're. I know it's it's nice to be Paul and you're a, a special guy, but there's a bunch of other people who are intelligent too. You're not the only one. You're not the only fount of wisdom here. So Paul feels it necessary at the beginning of the letter to let them know, listen, I am an apostle. I didn't just make myself one. I, I am one. Jesus made me one. There's all these people running around here today who um, there, there are some, there's some Christian traditions where the pastors call themselves apostles. Um, that's usually that's often in the black church. Um, and I suppose they can do that if they like, but the only apostles are the ones who Jesus chose and appointed. I mean, yeah. okay, so I mean, that's I, it. I ran into that in yeah. various places, and um, some people at least say there's the big letter A apostle for the apostles that were with Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is a little A apostle, and the ministry is that of coming up with new ideas and things for ministry. I just think it's really presumptuous to call yourself an apostle. Okay, I mean, I yeah, yeah, you're you're right. I, I think I think you're right. I don't. I, I, there's different Christian traditions that like to do things different ways, and it's often in uh, some flavors of the Black church where people like to call themselves apostles, and I think that they would say, like you said, that it's not that they're like on the level of Paul, but they're, they're small a apostles. I just, I think it's really presumptuous because the only apostles we see in the Bible are the ones who Jesus chose and appointed. Um, even Paul's going to talk about that, but Anyway, he wants to make it clear, like, I know what I'm talking about. So if you want to call yourself an apostle, you know, I, I guess you can. But Paul's saying, listen, uh, Jesus made me an apostle. So you really need to listen to what I'm about to say. So this is what he says. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. That's a great, according to the will of God and of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a really good summary of the gospel. Verse four, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Or I think the King James has from this present evil world. He might deliver us from this present evil, yeah, I'm evil age deal. Sure. It, it, that that's a great summary. I mean, there's always more stuff you can say about, you know, what did Jesus come to do? But that really does a good job of 
summing a lot of it up. He gave himself for our sins. He didn't have any, but he gave himself for our sins. Why? To rescue us from the present evil age. This world isn't the way it's supposed to be, but he gave himself for our crimes so he can rescue us from here and give us a place in the new age that's coming. And why did he do it? Because of the will of our God and Father. So it's a great summary. If you, if you want to, if you're ever searching for some sort of shorthand reference for what is the, what did Jesus come to do? This, this verse, Galatians 1.4, sums it up really, really well. You know, you could really see the selflessness. It is all about him, but yet it's all about us. He loves us so much. It really shows us the agape love he has for us. Mm -hmm. so. Yes. Yeah, it's very good. So that's the greeting, right? It's really nice. It's like that, hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Oh, that's good to hear. Okay, now we need to talk about something. So all of that, it's very nice. And I think he does mean it. I mean, he means that, you know. Actually, he didn't say anything nice to them at all. He just said grace and peace to you. So he starts in verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. No gospel at all. So, I mean, isn't that harsh language? What does he say? What, what does he say they are doing to the one who called them to live in the grace of Christ? Turning away. Does yours say turning away? Yeah. What else does someone have? Mine has deserting. Does anyone else have anything else? In verse uh, verse six, turning away, deserting. What do you have, Peter? Oh, you have the ESV. Okay. All right. So this is important. If you're if you're doing what Paul says, it's not we have a difference of opinion. It's not well we can agree to disagree. Uh, it's you are deserting Jesus, and that's pretty serious. There are things in the Christian life where we can agree to disagree, and it doesn't really, it might be important, but it has nothing to do with whether you're, whether you belong to God's family. If you want to disagree about the chronology of the end times, you can go ahead, it's fine. You know, everyone believes Jesus will come back, punish the wicked, reward the righteous. Everyone believes that, I hope, right? But then we have disagreements over the details and disagree if you like. It doesn't matter in the end because you're still a Christian. We can disagree about um, who can be baptized. It's important. We talked about it in theology class um, in uh, July, but uh, it nothing to do with whether you're in the family or not. But this, this one is different. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. There's two ways to live. You can live under uh, a performance-based law, which wasn't the Old Testament, but it's what they made the Old Testament into. Or you can live under the grace of Christ, where I can't be good enough, but someone has been good enough for me. If I trust him, then I'm rescued, I'm saved. 
and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So we can disagree about a bunch of stuff, but if we do not stick to what Jesus and the apostles taught about the good news, then we don't have the good news at all. There is no room for disagreement here. No room for disagreement. You can disagree about who Jesus died for. Did he die for everyone, whether they believe in him or not, or did they die for just the people who do believe? You can disagree about what tongues are in Acts chapter two. Are they foreign languages or are they just ecstatic heavenly speech? There's, there's um, disagreements about all kinds of, there is no disagreement about this. There should be no disagreement. This is the, the dividing line. You're either on the side of Jesus or you're following another gospel, which is no gospel at all. So he's going to say what it is. Evidently, is there a formula in here? Find her formula, please. Yeah. Find the formula. Evidently, this girl is hungry. And also evidently in verse 7, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Galatia is not a church. It's like a region. It's like the Pacific Northwest. So this is a letter that is going to the churches in Galatia, in southern Turkey, all over the place. So this example of a different gospel would be <clears throat> by grace or faith, or say some churches <clears throat> say you have to be baptized mm -hmm. to be saved. And that's changing the gospel. Yes. Making it work. But yes. So wouldn't that be considered a cult or? Yes, I think so. Like the Apocrypha, the extra biblical mm -hmm. addings, like in the Dead Sea Scrolls, a lot of that, like the Book of Enoch would be. And also remember, to who, to he who adds or takes away, see that you do not add or take away to anything in this book. There's a lot of there's stumbling blocks. Um, but go ahead. Yes. Yeah, that, that warning is about the book of Revelation, which is also very important. But like for an example, um, and it's so subtle, but I, I've talked to I've talked to people from the Church of Christ, and there's different flavors of the Church of Christ, but they all believe that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Jesus is important. Uh, Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus and all the good things about Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he paid the price for our sins in our place, all this good stuff. But Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus baptism. And I've spoken to someone. And I asked, I asked this guy, this is years ago, we were both stationed in Italy, and I asked him, so if I, I asked him about the thief on the cross who didn't have a chance to be baptized, and he said, well, that was a special circumstance. And I said, well, so if I believe in, like, if I'm not a Christian and you're trying to make, you're trying to witness to me and I become a Christian right now, but then I die on the way back, I'm crossing the street to my car after I accept Jesus, I die. Am I going to, am I going to be with Jesus or not? And he said, no, because I hadn't been baptized. But, you know, he didn't want to answer that. He was like, well, I mean, it was a crazy example, you know, but then he was like, well, no, you won't be. And so they, they believe, and that's not just him. I mean, I've like read their stuff. You have to be baptized. There was a, some time ago, there was a lady who was coming to our, who came to our church for many weeks and who wanted information about joining the church. And so I met with her and was going over our doctrinal statement and I got to uh, baptism and we talked about baptism and she came from Church of Christ. And that, after, as soon as we talked about that, that was the last thing we talked about when we met. And then she texted me two days later and said this church wasn't for her. 
And I'm almost certain it was because I said, I know, I told her, I know you come from a Church of Christ background. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach that you have to be baptized to be a Christian. You should be baptized to show people you are one, but it's not like the final, now we've got everything to check the salvation box. Now you're good. I said, that's not what it is. And she's like, oh, okay. And pretended it was no issue. But I'm almost certain that that was why she said she wasn't going to come back to the church and this church wasn't for her. It's because they've, they've added baptism to Jesus. So it's very subtle. She's a sweet lady, you know, and could say all the right things, but she believes that it's Jesus plus something. Does that mean she's going to hell? I don't know. I'll leave that in Jesus's hands. I'm just saying that we can't, we can't let that, we can't give on that in our teaching. We can't give on that at all. Maybe God has so much grace that she doesn't really trust in that that much, but it's like a stumbling block for her. I, I leave that in God's hands, but we can't give on that because it's either Jesus and what he did because we can't be good enough or it's Jesus plus stuff we do. And that's the line Paul's going to talk about. Do you agree? Yes. She agrees. She's like, amen. It's official. Amen. Yes. So, um, so there's how, okay, so at the end of verse seven, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. There are people wandering around who are spreading this nonsense and it's become a problem in the churches. What is your deal in Galatia? So it's become enough of a problem that Paul has to write them to set the record straight. There's false teachers wandering around. And we shouldn't put these people as though they're wearing Looney Tunes costumes. Like they're just a bunch of deliberately evil people wandering around. Maybe they are. Maybe they're confused people. It still doesn't make any difference. Um, but we shouldn't, I don't think we should paint in hues of total black and white. They could just be very confused people who think they're right, who are going around telling people. But still, they are, they're peddling falsehood they're peddling lies they're peddling a different gospel no matter how sincere they are or not you know i think people who are jehovah's witnesses are really a lot of them are really sweet people i mean really nice people i don't think they're wandering around saying <laughs> destroy i mean they're they're sweet people it's fine but they're they're peddling falsehood yes they they may not realize they are speaking the native tongue of the father yeah so but this is what he says, and this is Paul's line in the sand. So this isn't, it's not me trying to be mean. I'm just saying Paul thinks it's very serious in verse eight. But it, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So either you preach what Jesus taught or you should be damned to hell. So there's reference to an angel of, has something to do with the perversion of the gospel. <clears throat> no, I think he's just being, I think he's just trying to encompass everything. Even if we or even an angel from heaven comes and he preaches something else, then the answer is no. I just, before I come, came to church this morning, I was uh, on YouTube and it was about the Apocrypha and the extra biblical texts. And this Metatron character is 
professes to be an angel, and he's not mentioned anywhere in this Bible, but according to the Jewish um, Kabbalah-type mysticism, uh, he, in his name, means close to the throne of God. Anyways, he refers to himself as a lesser God, but is, or a lesser Yahweh. So he would be considered an angel, if, even though, yeah. Uh, preaching falsehood i don't know well what i'll say is i've read the apocrypha a lot of it's very helpful and very interesting mm -hmm. there's no guy named that in there he may be some weird character from jewish mysticism oh, which yeah. is really weird okay. but there's no guy named that in the in the actual um old testament apocrypha um and the old testament apocrypha is not crazy it's just a bunch of um yeah no it's just a bunch of um very popular and helpful stories like a John MacArthur book yeah. or something like that that Christians found helpful, that believers found helpful, but that certainly aren't, despite what some John MacArthur fans believe, is not inspired. So um, I don't think he's trying to say that angels, that demonic beings are involved in spreading the gospel. I think that's reading too much in. I think he's just saying no matter who it is, if someone arrives and is preaching something that's not what I taught you, that what, what Jesus taught, that person should be is going to be damned to hell. Mm -hmm. I think that's all he's saying. That's my that's my opinion. No, no, no. The other thing I want to say, if you hear it, you should go and read the Apocrypha to make sure the guy isn't just pulling wool over your eyes. A lot of people misuse the Bible so bad that yeah. you need to actually read and see what it's saying well i didn't know it at all maybe i should have left the apocrypha part out of it it was more of along of the jewish mysticism kabbalah there you go yeah that stuff is kind of i don't know much about it. i do know it's very weird and there's all sorts of bizarre traditions that came up oh, right. and become very strange but what i will say about the uh the apocrypha there's di different collections have different amounts of books they're just helpful books right. That were um, that were sort of bound together and associated with the Old Testament before the before Jesus came. That Jews found uh, helpful, um, and probably the majority of the Christian community in the world believes the Apocrypha is inspired. Protestants don't. Roman Catholics do. Roman Catholic Bibles have the Apocrypha between the Testaments. Eastern, the Orthodox Church, all the different Orthodox churches in the East. They have the Apocrypha. Um, Protestants don't, rightly. But there's nothing sinister and evil in the Apocrypha. No. You have the history of First and Second Maccabees, which talks about the, the Greeks' attempts to take over, their successful takeover of Israel after Alexander the Great died. You have Tobit, you have Judith, you have a bunch of great stories. Judith is a great assassination story. If you want to read something very entertaining, read Judith. It's great. Tobit's a wonderful guy. Tobit is my my bro. I like Tobit. He's a fun guy. It's helpful stuff. It's not God's word, though. No, no, you yeah. know, and uh, I mean, if I look at it as if it backs up and supports, you know, the the Bible, which was inspired by God, then yeah, you know, I'm all for it. I know what you mean. The mysticism stuff is right. That's the only really thing. I, I think I may have misworded it. And it's important to know that, you know, even I make mistakes in interpretation. Everybody so does. Don't that's worry. why, you know, iron sharpens iron, and that's what we're all. So the point is the point that we should take away so far is that this is a kind of a big deal. You know, yeah. either you believe the truth, Jesus alone, or you believe Jesus plus something. And if you believe that, you're not on the side of the angel. <laughs> You're on someone else's side. So not good.
And like, it's, it's as though Paul knows it's gonna make people angry. Like if you tell someone that someone you trust is teaching you lies, you're gonna get mad. Well, yeah. So he says in verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? More curious. So he's like, Paul's like, listen, I, I'm not trying to please people. I'm trying to please God. If I was trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. So it's like, listen, I know this, you don't want to hear this, but guys, um, we have to be faithful to God, no matter what people think. So that's verses one to 10. The rest, the rest of chapter one and all of chapter two is him defending his authority before he starts talking about what he really wants to talk about. Any questions or anything so far about Galatians? Thoughts? No, but if you ever get the chance, this is a little off topic. Uh, look up uh, Steve Quayle. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I have not. Very, very, very strong man of God. But that's just, I'm just planning that and adding a little water. Maybe you'll, it's, okay. anyways. <laughs> so this is what he says, and he's just defending himself. What I'm saying is you need to listen to me more than you listen to those guys. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. When did Paul get taught about the gospel by Jesus Christ? This is an interesting question. He went away for three years after he was blind once. After he came away from meeting Christ and he said he went away for three years. I don't know where he went. I know exactly where he went. He didn't go to India and learn from the ancient sages in the mountains, did he? No. Okay. No, he didn't. He didn't do what Batman did and go off into the east and find. Um, he was trained by the. Yeah, no, yeah. Not, not that. Some, something else. Something else. But yeah, you're right. Um, so all the this is interesting because all the apostles to be an apostle, you have to be chosen and trained by Christ. That's what all um, all the 12 were even Judas, and that's what Paul was too. So even Paul was selected and trained for three years mm -hmm. by Jesus. And he's going to talk about that in a second. So uh, he, didn't, he didn't just get like a direct Wi-Fi download on the Damascus Road. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a three-year gap between when he was saved uh, in Damascus and when he actually um, began his ministry and went to Jerusalem for the first time. So this is what it says in verse 13. You have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was exceedingly jealous for the traditions of my fathers. And... Um, to go sorry janine texted me ah so paul this paul talks about this in philippians he's a pharisee of the pharisee he's a uh, uh, uh the the most legalistic guy in the world right he was pharisees are bad enough he was a real zealous pharisee so just the worst okay um but when god verse 15 but when god who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, 
I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but this is what Ralph said. I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who's Peter. And I stayed with him 15 days. So what, what's this whole point in talking about this? Why has he decide to talk about how I didn't, I didn't go and consult with everyone so we can make sure we believe the same thing. I was, but what, what's his point in saying all this? Yeah, you went to Jesus's seminary for three years, Peter. Yeah, he's saying, he's just trying to emphasize guys, I, Jesus himself taught me what I taught you. I didn't, you know, just get some notes from Peter after class and like just repeat what he said, uh, or from John or from James. Jesus told me this, and you got you have to know this about him. Yeah. There's nothing more. I mean, that trumps it all right there. I mean, mm -hmm. and obviously Jesus wouldn't confuse him. He would give him the absolute truth. Yeah. Well. You gonna say something? Oh, that was. I was gonna say something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ralph. Tim, sorry, he's forgot who you were. Doing it because he's showing himself how he became an apostle because that gives him the authority to say write about this stuff for the church. Yeah. He doesn't have a letter of credentials mm -hmm. from other apostles, so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like it's like the difference of, you know, if when a church looks for a pastor, a church doesn't know the guy. A church has to get references. Uh, if the guy has a degree from a school, you would like to make sure, you know, make sure the school's not some weird, crazy place run out of a guy's trailer in Montana or something, you know. So if the guy comes from a school that's known, you're like, okay, he's probably not crazy references say he's probably not crazy so you like you're, you're trusting what other people say um but paul is saying i'm not one of those guys i didn't go to uh, i didn't get this from other people i jesus taught me this i am an apostle just like them i have authority you guys have to listen to me so what i'm about to say when it makes you mad you need to take it seriously Mm -hmm. right here 
Sure, good. Tells you because of the zealousness for the original thing we started with. Yeah. Fell away and turned into Christ, and then that same zealousness was still there. Yeah. So yeah. We have a lot to show up in that way. His writings and his actions, too. You know, yeah. His teachings, his writings, his actions. And uh, again, I don't know how well they relations knew his, his daily life. Mm-hmm. Maybe they did. Some of them did, but somebody came along and, and confused them. Yeah. They were around to follow that. But it's just strange to watch people going on the right track and all of a sudden being Yes. Yes. You know what I think is, can I add something? Yes, of course. This is, has to do with the, the Sennach, King Sennacherib. Remember now when God, when the sons of God came and they were talking, he, he wanted, he needed to send a, um, a line and deceiving spirit. But God himself is, is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a liar. So mm-hmm. according to what, you know, he couldn't do it because he, it, it would, deception or deceit would, is a lie and God cannot lie. And so an angel stepped forward and said, I will go and confuse the tongue. I'm just using that. So, I mean, the, Satan has his agent, agents and God has his, you know, or anyone. Anyways, I yeah. don't know if that helps. Meaning that supposable small Y Yahweh guy obviously was being manipulated and used as an instrument uh, of the devil. Well, yeah, a lot. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Did you see so in, in Galatians, a lot of people waste a lot of time trying to put Paul's life in the timeline order, and people wonder when it is he went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and with the other apostles. I don't really care that much, so I'm not going to talk about it because it doesn't have anything to do with your life or help you be a better Christian or help you understand what he's saying any better. I think that's an academic discussion that people in libraries can have fun with. But at some point, um, Paul went to Jerusalem and verse 19, uh, well, end of verse 18. I went after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. And he's still going to go on. The chapter divisions are fake. They're not original. So he's just he's still going to go on and talk about the same thing. So I'm just going to move right on. He's still talking and defending himself. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. A lot of people think this may have been in Acts chapter 15. Um, whatever, doesn't matter. I went up again to Jerusalem this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So he's talking, his whole point still, I sound like a broken record, is I, Jesus taught me, and I have had almost no contact with the guys in Jerusalem. Like, I'm not, uh, I, I, I'm not just copying them. I only went there once for like two weeks, and then 14 years later, I visited again. That, that's all I've got. I, I haven't, I don't go there every week. Um, I've been off preaching and doing my own thing on my own with Barnabas, not 
I haven't been um, with them. Um, I the message I have is the same one they have. I have authority. You have to listen to me. So now we have verse three, which sounds weird. Um, I really forget how how weird it is to talk about circumcision all the time uh, to people who don't understand Christianity. But there it is. So verse, what? Why does he say this in verses um, three and four? What's the point of mentioning this? Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Why does he decide to mention Titus not being forced to be circumcised? Well, circumcision was mainly a Hebrew tradition, but it's more than that because it's not about the cutting of the foreskin, but it's about the cutting and doing away with the way of old way of living and life and being a new creation in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, what you know of the Old Testament, did you become did you become a member of God's family in a real way, in a heart way, if you were circumcised when you were eight days old? No, it's just a sign that just like baptism was just a sign of identification with Christ, it was a sign that you were identified with God's people. Yeah. But in Paul's day, the, the Jewish culture thought that. I have to do these things or I can't be part of God's family. So it's like the baptism thing. Jesus is cool. You have to get baptized too. You're not a Christian. Jesus is cool, but you have to be circumcised as well. or You're not a Christian. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to follow these traditions or you're not a Christian. And so when Paul says, when we went up there, they didn't make Titus get circumcised. He's saying they agree with me. The apostles didn't make him get circumcised because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. Getting baptized has nothing to do with your salvation. It's a testimony about the salvation, but it isn't a part of the salvation. So Paul is saying, when I went to Jerusalem, they didn't make him get circumcised. Why not? it doesn't matter they agree with me so whoever these weirdos are who are wandering around these guys are off the reservation they're 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 not preaching the truth he says this matter arose in chapter 2 verse 4 because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in christ jesus and to make us slaves to make us slaves by making us by making relationship with God about doing a rules-based checklist. We did, no, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I don't know, sometimes I talk about, anyways, I was, I was just noticing that. Just go ahead, please, I really- It's too late now. I, I, okay, so yeah, not even Titus who was with me being a Greek was, okay, not that. Mm -hmm. uh, and this occurred because a false brother and secretly brought in who came in by stealth. By I, the word stealth, I just I spoke out loud. I that is, that's interesting. Um, that's really interesting. 
So who are these people then? If these people, if these false believers, if they infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, why are these people there? They're sent by somebody. I mean, why are they there? Maybe because this, the teaching of Christ and what Paul is preaching is a threat to the religious powers that be. It goes against what they've been teaching. And people are showing an interest to it, which means it's going to take away followers from there, you know, and money and so on and so forth. Yeah, something something weird is going on. So there's there's people who can be sincerely confused, who, who preach nonsense. And then there's people who know and are being sneaky about it anyway. And that's what, whoever these people are, that's who these people are in verse four. They've deliberately infiltrated the church, probably lied about, yes, we believe this. Yes, we believe that and given a testimony and joined the church, but they'd actually don't believe that. And they're, they're only there to find out stuff and then secretly pull people aside and try and subvert them and confuse them. These are deliberate troublemakers. They're not, you know, Pastor, I've been thinking, and I really have questions about what baptism means. It's not that kind of thing. This is, oh, I absolutely believe that baptism doesn't save you. <laughs> Lie. You know, they, 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 they do not believe what the church believes. But they're lying so they can stay there, so they can subvert people and pick them off. Well, and what happens is the church kind of gets put on the shelf. They have their church but they're not out there spreading the gospel and living by faith so that the church can grow yeah it kind of secures that and if you want to read the church's revelation mm -hmm. it shows all sorts of people that snuck in and did all sorts of stuff that they just weren't functioning anymore yeah what they're supposed to be doing yes so he says in verse five uh, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whoever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, so he's saying that the, the people in the church in Jerusalem, when he finally visited for an extended period of time, after 14 years, they agreed that what he was preaching was the truth. On the contrary, chapter 2, verse 7, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, meaning God chose me to bring the gospel to non-Jewish people. God chose Peter to bring the gospel to Jewish people. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And I'll do the last two verses. Uh, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, which is different than the right boot of fellowship, uh, which is a very different thing. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So that's the that's the end of his long defense of his 
of his authority. Um, I could resummarize what I've said for the last 20 minutes, but that would be tiresome. Does anyone else have any questions about this, this section from chapter one, verse 11 through chapter two, verse 11? Chapter two, verse 10. Yeah, that, that's all he's doing is just defending himself, his authority. And now I can get through this in the next five minutes because the real crux of this letter starts in chapter three. So he's going to give an example of how serious this problem is, how serious this issue is of Jesus plus something, how serious peer pressure is. Um, he's going to give an example, this famous example of him confronting Peter. And I'm just going to read it and make a few comments. I won't spend much time on here because I think most of us are familiar with it and the implications will come out in the rest of the letter. So he gives an example. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. It's harsh language. What could Peter have done that show, makes him show in such a bad light in Paul's eyes? Peter falls into the same trap that some of the other people are wanting to fall into, trying to put extra biblical rules in place and make them part of the gospel. So he explains, for before, cer before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Before there were visitors who came from Jerusalem when Peter was there. And before they got there, Peter would hang out with Gentiles, eat with the Gentiles, and wouldn't care at all because it doesn't matter. But there's a funny thing that happens when people who you fear suddenly come around and you start reverting back to the way they expect you to act, even if you know it's ridiculous and stupid, even if you know it's not right. And that's what happens here. Verse uh, 12, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. What's the problem? This, it's this idea that Gentiles were scum. If you're not Jewish, you must be scum. You're dirty. You're unclean. You contaminate me by your presence. How rude is that, right? But it's, it's that attitude. That's the attitude that's behind the Pharisees' questions in Mark chapter 7, when they say, how come you don't, how come you don't wash ritualistically wash your hands before meals like John's disciples do? What's the deal with washing your hands before meals? It wasn't a hygiene thing. It was to cleanse yourself in case you'd come in contact with the Gentiles. So think of how nasty a, a whole cultural attitude you have to have so that you actually believe that God will not accept you if you've had any contact with someone who is a Gentile. You know, the, the heir from Ralph infects my mouse so i better disinfect it not germs but just ralphness has touched my mouse heaven forbid you know so it needs to be fixed um ryan ryanness has touched my cup marshallness has touched this this controller we need to we need to cleanse this or we can't use it on wednesday you know horrible nasty attitude that's like segregation it is but that's why Peter was fine, because Peter knows it's ridiculous now. Yeah. But as soon as the hardcore guys from Jerusalem start showing up, Peter's like, back to the old way. Step aside, back up. They might take a hard time going to Cornelius. 
Oh. He did, yeah. That's true. He was trying to appease them to the old traditions. The traditions are dead, according to God. Yeah. But then, then he realized that God was sending the gospel to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but then he got into the people pleasing thing. Oh, yeah, it yeah. was easier than the consequences of not pleasing people and standing firm with God. And so. When Paul says over here, I'm not pleasing people, but God, we, have, we need to remember that and get caught up in other people's sinful ideas. Yeah. Well, in fact, when Peter, when he rejected Christ, for example, mm -hmm. sort of carries over into this hypocrisy in a sense where once he said, oh, Jesus, what was going on? Well, well I don't know. Mm -hmm. Same here with the, the Gentiles. Well, well, I don't I'm not with that. Uh huh. Yeah, and th this is where what Tim said is right. We we should look at people as people and not as cardboard characters. Peter has problems getting rid of that baggage, right? It's just something that he has trouble with, and it takes a conscious effort for him to overcome it. Paul doesn't have that problem. It'd be nice to be Paul, where it's just like everything changes and life is great. But for Peter, he just just trouble with this thing, with this particular issue, and it just keeps surfacing up again. And peer pressure is a strong thing. So he just, he makes a mistake and right. he backs off under peer pressure because he doesn't want them to think he's afraid of them. He gave sin a foothold and we're warned not to let that happen because this is a perfect example of what can happen if you give sin a foothold. And... Even Barnabas is led astray. Barnabas is the nicest guy ever, right? The nicest guy in the world. And Barnabas is, is led astray. But we will save Barnabas and the rest for next time because we're out of time. So that's, we're getting, uh, that's the intro to the book. And we're going to actually get into the book next week. And I think we'll have a lot of fun. Chapter three will take a long time because it's extremely difficult especially the verses he quotes and how he uses them. So I think we'll have a lot of fun talking about that the next two weeks or so. I think it may take that long to get through chapter three. So um, any questions or thoughts or anything from anybody? Okay, um, I'll pray and we'll be done with our Sunday school. And next week we'll start diving into the, the meat and potatoes of this, this issue and learn a lot about who God's family is. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. I pray you can help us to understand your word and to love you and to trust in you and your son and not in anything else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.